0: Today, we're going to continue in John chapter 13, and it's going to shed some light on the question we asked last week. One week left, what is Jesus going to do with his time? What actions, what teachings, what things does he have? He gathers his disciples in. So John chapter 13, verse 31, join with me here. When Judas was gone, Jesus said, Now the human one has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify the human one in himself and will glorify him immediately. Little children, I'm with you for a little while longer. You will look for me, but just as I told the Jewish leaders, I also tell you now where I'm going, you can't come. I give you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, so you also must love each other. This is how everyone will know that you are my disciples, when you love each other. The word of the Lord, and and, and I have skipped uh, ahead just a bit from where we were last week with Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. We skipped over the bit, and what we skipped mostly is Judas and his early steps that eventually led to him siding with the bad guys and betraying jesus and that's not our focal point today but it is here in verse 31 and here's what i'll say about that as a follower of jesus the only way you can lose your place among god's people and your spot at the table with jesus is if you choose to if you choose to reject jesus if you choose sin and, and go down that path, you can go down that path, but you cannot do that and also have a place at the table with Jesus and his disciples in verse 31. So that is the path Judas goes down, and we're not going to follow that path. And I don't want you to follow that path. Don't disqualify yourself from a seat at the table with Jesus and other followers of Jesus. But Jesus' death is not a failure of what God the Father wanted Him to do. that We see that in verse 31 and 32. Jesus is already saying here, what is happening, what is going to happen, and what is happening is going to bring glory. It's going to glorify the Father. And so when the disciples see Jesus killed on the cross, Jesus is letting them know, hey, it, it, it's okay. This is going to happen, and this is not a failure. This is not Jesus' ministry coming to a disastrous end. It's actually coming to the end of which he came to do. And this is not final. And Jesus essentially says, I, I, I know that it doesn't make sense for, for now. You can't come with me on this path for now. But trust me, that is still okay. I'm going to die. This was part of the plan. You can't come with me. And so Jesus addresses that, but then gets to the meat. And I want us to get to the meat today of, of what this message is. How... Does Jesus want his disciples to respond? And he says it this way. Here's a new commandment. A new commandment I give you. And that makes me think, well, what what were the old commandments? Do you remember the old commandments? Do you you remember what those were? The the 10, the 10 commandments all the way back in the book of Exodus. We don't have time to go there today, but but it's a great place to go. Very good commandments. I highly recommend them. They're, They're good to follow. But here, the unspoken context is, hey, you remember that list that was given to us so, so long ago? Those Ten Commandments? Stuff like, you know, don't lie to each other, and don't steal from each other, and don't kill each other. You know, that stuff? Let's be honest, that's kind of a low bar, right? If, 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 if the measuring stick is, do you steal from each other? Do you lie to each other? Do you kill each other? Okay, if, if, if that, that, that's, oh, I think we got that. Thanks. We, we, we can follow those commandments. So I want you, Jesus says, to take this new commandment on. Maybe even take it a step further, building on the previous commandments. It's not enough to just not lie and not steal and not kill. Okay, yes, great commandments to follow. But Jesus says, here's what I want you to do in verse 34. Love each other. And so not just don't bring harm to anyone. And not even, hey, you you, you need to just like each other. You need to get, you need to be civil. No. What Jesus says is love each other. And what does it mean to love each other? Well, we already had had that example already. That was from last week. Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. And in washing their feet, here's what Jesus says. I am willing to do the most humble act of service for you because I love you. And now here Jesus says, I'm commanding you a new commandment. Love each other. And I've shown you what that means. If you love each other and I've commanded you to love each other, evidence of that love will be your willingness and actual completion of the most humble acts of service toward each other and that is going to be the indicator the mark the test of how people will know that you are a disciple of Jesus will you do crazy humiliating selfless acts of service for each other and so here's the question we have to ask then and this is going to get hard okay this is I hope I don't step on some toes, but maybe the Holy Spirit. I, I don't know. Okay. In your life, is there any evidence at all that you are a follower of Jesus? Is there any evidence that you are a Jesus follower? And what I might say to that and what you might say to that is, oh, yeah, there's evidence. Let me tell you the evidence. Oh, I go to church. I go, I go to church. So that shows that I'm a follower of Jesus. I read my Bible. I read my Bible. It's it's right there on my list. I read my Bible. I put money in the offering plate. I tithe. Right? I tithe. I pray every day. I pray pray daily. I'm a part of... uh, I I, I serve. I'm a part of this this church committee or a Sunday school class or a small group or I'm a a board member or or I'm a pastor. I, I serve. You want evidence that I'm a follower of Jesus? All these things. The problem is, none of those are what Jesus says is evidence that we are his followers. Now, here's the deal. Don't get me wrong. All of those, all, all of these right here, these are all good things. And as your pastor, please do them. <laughs> please. Not for my own benefit, but, but it, they are spiritual practices and disciplines that help tremendously. And they, they, they're good. They, they will help you grow in your faith and your understanding. They're, they're wonderful things. I'm not trying to downplay these things, or, but let's get some... It's just, it's just what Jesus says. None of those things showed up when Jesus said, this is how everyone will know that you are my disciples in verse 35. This is how everyone will know that you are my disciples. John chapter 13, verse 35. When you love each other. Not Bible study, not daily prayer, not church attendance, not tithing. Please, wonderful things to do. This, when you love each other. Okay, let's, all right, I, I know that's an individual perspective on this, okay? Let's broaden it. Let's say it this way. How can people tell if a church is full of Jesus followers? Is there any evidence that a church has Jesus followers? Just anybody out on the street, if they were looking, this church or any church, how is there any evidence that a church has Jesus followers? And, and churches, not just ours, but, but all churches would say, oh, yeah, let me tell you about my, the, the attendance at our church. That's a measure attendance will tell you how many Jesus followers we have. Or let me tell you about conversions and baptisms and new members. And I need to say baby dedications, all, all, the, all these things, these ceremonial things, all of these things. But it's like a scoreboard. Or let's talk about financial stability and, and proper stewardship and leadership. Or our compassionate ministries, the way we bless the community around us. Or youth and children ministries, if, if they are thriving and growing, boy, that is evidence of Jesus, that, that we are Jesus followers. Or really good worship services. Man, the music and, the, and all, all, all kinds of good stuff. As, boy, that is evidence that a church has Jesus followers. Well, again, two very important points. All of those are good and right and holy and worthwhile things for a church to do. In fact, I can tell you that if if one of those things are off, your pastor, that's the top of their prayer list. We've got to address this. These are good things that a church needs to be doing. But none of these things on this list is how Jesus says people will know that we are his disciples. And I'll show you again on John chapter 13, verse 35. This is how everyone will know that you are my disciples when you love each other. It brings us perhaps to a hard truth that the church in the United States has to face in 2024. If we dare to allow Jesus to be the one who defines who is a follower of Jesus, We just might end up with way too many churches and church attenders who have no actual evidence that they are following Jesus. And if people in the church are not loving people in the church, it doesn't matter how good the music is, how high the attendance is, how many hungry people are fed, or how good the bank account is, or anything else, any other marker or indicator. None of that matters if we are not loving each other. Please hear this. This message is not, okay, it is a problem, but it's not a new problem. It's not a problem that would be unique to any church who deals with this. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 13. And instead of just typing it out, I kind of have a graph to help us follow along here. Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, he has a formula. If I do such and such and such, but then don't have love, this. Okay, so he said in verse one if I speak with the tongues of men and angels, if I can communicate well, if I have that, if 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 I can reach out, and man, we, we have all kinds of outreach and great. If I could speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I don't have love, what does that mean? I am a clanging cymbal or clashing gong. <laughs> but if I don't clanging gong. I am a noise maker. I am adding to the noise. And there are churches today, i do not pick on anybody, but we're communicating well or we're outreaching. It's just noise if there's not love behind it. That's verse 1. Verse 2, Paul keeps on going. What if I have great intelligence? An amazing faith that I can move mountains. If Boy, I'm so smart. And I can prophecy. I understand. What if we have all of that? There are churches who are serving the prophetic word and doing amazing thing. What if? What if I'm intelligent and have great faith, but I don't have love? Paul says, I'm nothing. I am nothing. Okay, verse 3. What if I serve? What if I give everything God. I have? And everybody see that in all the work that I do and it's selfless service, but if I don't have love, Paul says in one Corinthians chapter thirteen, it is of no good, no benefit, no benefit at all. And then Paul wraps it up this way: Now faith, hope, and love remain; these three things, and the greatest of these is love. John, Paul says that John says it later. This is all scripture. John later in his life, he writes a letter to a church, a church that was doing wonderful things. Okay. Ministry was awesome. There were no shortage of workers. They stood up for the truth. They identified evil and they addressed it and they worked for the Lord. They endured for the Lord. And so John wrote a letter to the church in revelation chapter two. Revelation he, he writes this. I know your works, your labor, your endurance. You have shown endurance and put up with a lot for my name's sake. And you haven't gotten tired. It hasn't even burned you out. But I have this against you. You have let go of the love you had. It for, you've lost your first love. So remember... The high point from which you have fallen, change your hearts and lives and do the things you did at first. It was a church so caught up in good things that should be done, but they had lost the love. And as I studied this, worked on this, and I couldn't help but think how do you determine if someone is worthy? Of loving. How do you tell? And we can say things like, oh, you should love everyone. And yeah, I get that. Jesus tells us, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. And also, later, love your enemies too, right? Okay, so so, so love. But at the same time, there's a timing here. And there's something that happens here. We mentioned it. Judas. Judas... At the very beginning of this passage we read, verse 31, when Judas was gone, that's when Jesus gives this commandment. Jesus gave this new commandment after Judas had left. He was not included in this discussion. He was not included in this commandment. So how do you determine if someone is worthy of this kind of commandment, love? In the context of Jesus' new commandment, love each other. The commandment here is not to love outsiders. It's to love each other, and that's how we'll know if we love each other. So how do you tell if a person is a good person or a bad person? Good or evil? Let me ask you this. Is the sun, that big ball of fire up in the sky? It's over here, I guess. Is is the sun good or bad? And I'll show you this photo here. Look at this photo. And I I stole it from Rex. I got his permission after I was planning to use it anyway, but thank you. (laughs) Um, this is from, this is from your backyard, Is that right? View from your house. And Rex, go on his Facebook page. <clears throat> Man, he's got some awesome photos. Now, <clears throat> Rex's camera or anybody's, the photos don't do it justice, do they? Um, of how beautiful a, uh, a, a sun, sunset or sunrise is. This sunset? sunset? Sunset. Okay. Gorgeous. Is the sun good? I mean, come on. Is the sun good? Let me show you one other photo. <clears throat> we go from sun, sunset to sunburn. And, and this one, whoa, this one, just looking at this photo is painful, right? This, this, this is a sunburn. Is the sun good or the sun bad? If you ask this person, they're not too happy with the sun in this moment, right? Right? <laughs> Um, okay, take that off. I don't want to look at that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I had the pleasure a, a, a few weeks ago of listening to an interview um, of a lady named Tracy Caldwell Dyson. Uh, two things you should know about Tracy. There's one of them. She's an astronaut for NASA. She's been twice. She's been up um, in, into space to the International Space Station, and, and she's going again next month. She's all, all set to go again. To the International Space today. She spent over 180 days um, in, in space over those two missions, and she's going to add to it with a third mission here coming up. But Tracy uh, Caldwell Dyson, the other thing you need to know about her, she is a believer. She's a born again Christian. And she has an awesome testimony and faith. And I heard this interview uh, wasn't necessarily about her life, but, but it was in partly about her faith. And with the unique perspective of being a believer and also being an astronaut who has left Earth and experienced creation, that some of us just will never get to see that perspective. Here's, here's how she described the sun. That she described the sun on Earth as breathtakingly gorgeous, as the sunrise and sunsets and All that we we experience with the sun on earth, she just sees that as beautiful and gorgeous and indicators of God's good creation, his design, his intent. But she also describes the sun in space as a deadly laser that brings chaos when it's in space, when, when you are in space, because there is the sun's heat, the sun's radiation. There are solar flares. There is its gravitational pull that is inevitable. All of it would mean death for anyone who is in space, if not accounted for and intentionally dealt with in some way prior to leaving Earth. A space special insulation on a spacecraft, uh, temperature barriers, controls, propulsion, all of those things. All of it, you must... Factor in the inevitable dangers of the sun when you are in space. So is the sun good or is the sun bad? It is beautiful. Also, it will kill you if you don't take precautions. And Tracy, would say, she said it this way. When outside of the boundaries of the Earth's atmosphere, the sun is chaos and death. But within the protective limits of the Earth's atmosphere... Something that was once so deadly and disorderly suddenly can become enjoyable and beautiful. And not only, boy, that's a pretty thing to look at, but also the sun actually allows life to exist on earth. It brings life to plants and and animals and humans. and, And we can even now harness solar power and heating and we're working through all how to do all that. It's wonderful. The sun moves from a source of chaos to a source of blessing and and life-giving. And people might say here with my next point that I am just a naive, hopeful pastor, and I think I am. But I can't help but think that people, even followers of Jesus, might just be like this example of the sun. But the determining factor is not whether you're in the earth's atmosphere or not. It is an atmosphere of selfless, forgiving love that can be the difference between a person bearing, being the bearer of chaos or a bearer of God's beauty and goodness. Because outside of an environment of love, people can quickly become agents of chaos and evil. But if we, as followers of Jesus, can participate in a pattern and a cycle of selfless love toward each other, even the most hardened heart can be softened. Even the most wounded can find healing. Every bit of evil and chaos in this world cannot withstand the power of Christ's love that flows from him through us and to each other. And so I think we as a church have to ask ourselves are we fostering an environment of love that can allow a hardened heart to soften, a wounded person to heal, an offended person to forgive? Can we give that space? Can we give that time? Can we give that love? Because here's the the reality of this Jesus, his clock was ticking, it's his final week. He doesn't have much time left. One week left. And this is what he brings to the table in that moment. Just as I have loved you, so you also must love each other. And I don't think, and I hope, I hope you haven't received it this way today. I don't think Jesus brings this as a judgmental thing or in a convicting way. I think he says it actually with a tinge of hope. I don't know that this is made up, this message is, I'm I'm not saying it to make us feel bad. And I don't think Jesus is trying to make his disciples feel bad. It's meant to give us exactly what we need to come together and be God's people. To move from chaos and destruction to peace and identity and Jesus' followers, this is the ingredient. It is Christ's love through us. Shared with us. That's the answer. It's it's the end of the map. It's the great buried treasure that solves the problems of the church is selfless, hope filled, love. It's not in the markers that we have as individual followers of Christ. Of do I read my Bible? Do I do I serve? Do I give? Do I all those things? Please, that'd be great, all, do all those things. And, and for a church, it's not all the markers that we use to judge the health of the church or the the strength of the church or the effectiveness of the church. Any of those, none of those can replace our first love. Loving each other. This takes prayer, patience, and I don't think it can be done by any church on its own. I think, it, I think it takes revival. I think it takes a moving of the Holy Spirit. And where it says in Revelation chapter 2, change your hearts and lives, it's repent is the word. Repent. But Jesus loves you so much that he can't stand to see love not being shared among each other. And with less than a week to go now, Jesus would say, a new commandment. One more. It's not enough just to be civil. It's not enough just to not kill each other. But please don't. But please, love each other. And how are we to do that? We look to our Lord and Savior, who loved by washing feet who loved by His great patience, who loved by going to the cross, not for His own benefit, but to save us. There's an old minister from uh, oh, well over 100 years ago now. He was a pastor in Iowa, eventually moved to Kansas City, and about the time the Church of the Nazarene was being formed, he was asked to help start... Uh, Nazarene Publishing House he, he was not only a gifted pastor and preacher he, he wrote song lyrics and one day he, he sat down and he wrote this one the love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell it goes beyond the highest star and reaches to
1: the lowest hell." can you see what the love is the wandering child is reconciled by God's beloved Son, the aching soul again made whole and priceless pardon. Think about the love of God. O oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints and angels.
0: Try to get your mind to wrap around this verse. Could we with
1: the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quid and one? A scribe by trade. To write the love. Of God above. Would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll. Contain the whole. Though stretched from sky. To sky. Oh love of God. How rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the
0: saints and angels. Song. Lord, there's something here we need to we need to learn how to love. And yet there may be even more who need to learn how to turn back to love. And there may be some joining us online or or maybe who aren't even here today that desperately need to know not only your love for each of us, but the love that exists within the body of believers that can be so good and hope-filled and healing. It's not from our own power or our own strength, but it is from your plan, your commandment, the way you would have the church live. Call us back to that first love, Lord. Put within us a spirit that's not satisfied with civility or or, um, just the original commandments, but, but even a step further to a new commandment that you give us, Lord. And when others look and see, may they see us love each other. May that be our mark, our indicator, that we are your followers. And when it gets hard, Lord, when it gets difficult, would you put within us your your, your spirit that allows us to love. But let us be reminded, you loved us first. While we were yet sinners, you died for us. Bring us the the time and space we need to love each other. We thank you, Lord. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.